everybody and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, a Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. My name's Taylor Payne and I am here joined as ever by Chris Private Waffles Waff. How are you doing, Chris? I'm very good, thank you. Very nice day outside. It's lovely to hear your voice, mate, I have to say. I've missed you this week. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's, uh, that makes me feel needed. Which is yeah, I mean, I was being genuine and sincere, but you don't sound like you're bothered about that whatsoever. Okay, that's okay. <laughs> He's got a very miserable voice, hasn't he? I was feeling very, very happy. Yeah. <laughs> it is like talking to Droopy. It's great. I mean, I am very monotone. I accept this. I'm very, it's very not, happy. It's not monotone, Chris. Just put a little bit of sparkle on it. Do you know what I mean? And Mr. George Corkin, how are you, sir? Are you good? I'm fair to average, yeah. Thanks very much. Yeah. Fair to average. How are things? Operating on my usual 38% efficiency. That's about that's about standard. That's all you need, George, I'll be honest. I've, I, Thank I've you. seen you working at, at 39% and it's scary. Nobody, <laughs> nobody needs to go that high. <laughs> it's lovely to talk to you guys. I've, I've, uh, I've genuinely uh, I've missed the crack this week. It's been good fun. The, the, the podcast has... Quit, very quickly became the highlight of my week. I have to be honest, which which doesn't say much for the rest of my week. But no, that's, <laughs> that's absolutely it's, freaking extraordinary. Um, it's so great, my, it's great. my commiserations. It, you know, well, hopefully once this is all over, it'll go back to being fourth or fifth thing on the list. But it's, no, it's good <laughs> fun. Moment, it's been great fun. Yeah, yeah. At the moment, it's been keeping the sanity levels up there, hasn't it? Um, also, the football season may be on hold. But the Athletic is still home to 400 of the best sports writers in the business, and they're still hard at work telling unique, engaging, and informative stories. The Athletic can keep you connected to the team and the sport you love. Sign up now for a 90-day free trial and see that for yourself. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod for a 90-day free trial. That didn't even sound like I was reading that, did it? That just sounded like it came no, it straight didn't, out of my mouth. But you know, you know what? I'm pleased you've done that because th- that gives us a little opportunity to say thank you ever so much to everybody who subscribed. I mean, over the past few months, definitely, and for sticking with us, but also um, Chris and I have seen a big uptake in subscriptions over the past few days and a couple of weeks. So thank you ever so much for doing that. Welcome aboard, and we shall uh, try and make it worth your while. Yes, I just want to second that and basically say that for those people who have subscribed, obviously, thank you very much. And also, subscriptions will make it possible for us to do more pieces and do more podcasts in the course of the coming weeks, months, and hopefully longer. And that uh, it's a different journalism model that ours relies on subscriptions. So just anyone who has uh, taken the plunge and joined up, thank you. We really do appreciate it. Absolutely, and everyone who's listened to the podcast as well. We've had some good figures over the last couple of months, couple of weeks. Um, I think it, it coincides with the exciting stuff that's been going on as well, mind, I have to say. But a lot of the uh, the discussions that we've had have been re- really well informed by people on Twitter getting involved and, and people giving us information to, to work with and stuff like that. And everyone who's, uh, who's taken part in the polls and sent questions in and stuff like that. We really appreciate it. So thank you again for listening. We're going to blast on with some uh, some exciting stuff. It's uh, a lot of things have kind of happened in the last couple of weeks with regards to the takeover by Amanda Staveley's uh, PCP Capital Partners Saudi-backed group. Um, things appear to be moving at pace now. Reports of deposits haven't been paid, paperwork haven't been finalised, and also uh, the Premier League owners and directors test has officially started, and we're just waiting now for for some kind of announcement. George, you've uh, released this piece this morning, which I read through, which was a, a bit more of an in-depth look at the plans of 
that group, but also how the coronavirus uh, epidemic has kind of curtailed some of those plans or changed them in some way? Well, yeah, I mean, that's something that sort of hasn't really been talked about, but obviously it's, you know, it's affecting your life and my life or everybody's lives at the moment, Definitely. and it will have an effect on on the takeover. So I've sort of said it's not just the Newcastle takeover, it's the it's the lockdown takeover. And where they are in the, at the moment in the in the director's test is that, you know, we could be looking at sort of two weeks away from, you know, from that going through, could be sooner. Um, but if it happens then and the country's still in lockdown, there are obvious, there are going to be sort of obvious restrictions, which means that they physically won't be able to get to the stadium. They won't be able to physically get to Newcastle. And they won't be able to kind of take possession of the club in that sense. So it's interesting. If you're talking about the impact that new owners can can have and can, can tra traditionally have, you'll always see this um, spike of interest and activity before transfer windows. I know Newcastle fans got to the point where they were sick and tired of hearing that there were there were parties coming forward as January got closer because it was sort of seen as a you know as 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 a smokescreen before Ashley didn't spend any money but that was those were genuine moments when new owners can come in and and immediately do something the interesting thing about now is that they can't do anything or they can do very little so the transfer window is not open and we don't know when the transfer window will open um when it does open we don't know if they'll if it'll be business as usual we don't know whether fees will be depressed we don't know whether wages will be depressed we don't know whether there'll be relaxation in terms of financial fair play the other thing that owners can tr traditionally do on the football side is bring in a manager well there are still nine games to play this season theoretically at least and yeah. You know, that's something that I've talked about, that at the moment there's no need, there is no need for a change of manager, particularly with games still to play this season. And so the the working assumption by everybody at the moment is that Steve Bruce will will carry on, certainly get through to the summer, if if summer indeed is what it is. And then all those things... Steve Bruce has definitely that. earned that yeah, right, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, absolutely. He's, absolutely. He's, we're very fortunate that the club's in a position where, you know, in spite of what many of us feared in the summer, that... The team is more or less safe, uh, is in a strong position, and it takes away that proper sort of edge about what has to ha has to happen next. There is breathing space now. You know, I've read lots of stuff about Rafa possibly coming back, other big name managers that have kind of looked, but that is genuine. There was genuinely nobody lined up. There's nobody there waiting in the wings. Yeah. That will be a decision to take in the summer and a conversation to be had in the summer, and I'm sure it will. But And then, again, the same applies to someone like Lee Chandley. I don't think Lee Chandley um, has a long-term future at the football club, um, and I think it's right that the club looks to move on and has a fresh start. But, again, if new owners can't get into the building, if there are still meetings to be had with the Premier League about coronavirus, about restarting the season, things like that, it makes sense for there to be a transition and a handover where you know where the decision making process can be explained he he's already taking part in those meetings it makes sense for that to continue so again i think that's something that they they'd be looking to do but in terms of sort of initial impact it's going to be quite difficult for them yeah, they're very limited, aren't they, in what they can actually do? It must be quite frustrating because they'll be dying to get their hands on the keys and get in there and uh, and and sort some things out and 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 check out exactly what they've got. I mean, I'm sure they know exactly what they've got, but to actually get in the building, get in the stadium, and get into the training ground and all that sort of thing. 
Yeah, exactly. And they can't do that. I mean, when you say they know exactly what they've got, they've obviously done incredibly detailed yeah. due diligence and they know the financial picture. But so much about a football club is about relationships and it's about, you know, it's about those employees, who reports to who, who's on, on what contract, who works where, all that kind of stuff is is will only become apparent to them. I mean, so those notes and and, you know, those details can get forwarded to them when they take over, and that'll be something that they then kind of go through. They do want to bring Newcastle's non-playing staff off the government furlough yeah. scheme, which is great news because they should never have been put there in the first place. Definitely. They are looking at making a gesture to the local NHS, which is, you know, Newcastle's St James's Park is surrounded by hospitals, and I think that would be a that would be a great gesture. You know, the other thing to say is just because things are limited in terms of what they'll be able to do doesn't mean that they're not working on the assumption that it's happening. And you know, they are. They're working very hard, and feelers are being put out. You know, albeit in an informal way, an unofficial way, to fans groups and to former players and to people of importance in the city that they'll have to have relationships with going forward and they're James already Perch, exp- people like ex- that yeah James Perch was top of their list I gather and mm, is absolutely and is a candidate for both chief executive director of football <laughs> and manager and also first team player so it's going to yes. be quite a it's going to be quite a task for for Perchino <laughs> to deliver but we also know he's capable of anything <laughs> my idea of them uh, opening the doors and allowing a couple of thousand lads and lasses to come in and remove Sports Direct signs with their bare hands in about forty seconds—that was my, that was my idea of how to get how to get the uh, the general fans on side. I don't know if that would be something uh, that would be done probably by a, a professional private contractor, though I'd imagine, rather than a load of lads from Walls End with crowbars and hammers and stuff like that. You know, there are parts <laughs> of the deal that we still have to that, that we still have to see how that's going to work out. I mean, you know, I've yeah. been told at various points that. Sports Direct will be going, and um, I hope it is. But in terms of making, you know, in terms of making an immediate impact, and in terms of, in terms of different, my God, I can't, you know, I'd love to see that stadium without uh, just a massive bonfire in the middle of Leeds's Park. <laughs> just throw it all on there. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, excellent. Chris, how are you? How are you feeling about all this? Has the has the excitement, has the buzz started to kick in yet? Are you are you allowing yourself to get carried away? Um. I mean, as George will tell you, I'm not someone who gets overly excited I mean, very Chris, easily. Have you so. ever gotten carried away about anything in your life? <laughs> I'm very, very happy. So sausages. He gets very excited about sausages. Yes, make him say. So that's the Taylor, one thing. Taylor, make him say sausages. Chris, say sausages, please. Sausages. He's just wow, lovely yeah. way of saying sausages. Sausages. I mean, I'm not really Mind sure how to respond to that, but but in terms of in terms of, <laughs> am I excited? Yes, yes, I am because. I just think that this has been something that, that the club, the city, the fan base in particular desperately needed uh, this change, this freshness, which hopefully this will bring. There is still that part of me that is just because it's been weathered by the 13 years that Mike Ashley just says, we just need this to be confirmed before we can oh, really Jesus, yes. let yeah. that excitement come out. Yeah, but yeah. the lockdown takeover thing, I think, is interesting because it is frustrating it will be frustrating for them in one sense. And there's the quote in George's piece, which basically says like going into a, like buying a house and not being able to move in yet. And essentially that is, that is the situation that they have. But if you look at it a different sort of way, I think it's both, I think it's also an opportunity. And by that, I mean, it's an opportunity to rather than have to come in and do everything immediately at hundred miles an hour, there is time to really look through the things that will be sent over, as George said, employment contracts, everything else that, that that's available, re- how Newcastle structure things, how they do things, and really 
be able to plan over the however long this goes on for and think about strategically about what the moves are going to be rather than have to do that before they've bought the club there will be a time period where some of those big decisions they will have the benefit which I don't think any other takeover really has had before of being able to you can really look at these things before making those big decisions so in that sense in a strange perverse sort of way I think there is an opportunity that that brings and hopefully that means that they can really really can be strategic about this and rather than make rash decisions as George said that there's no need to get rid of Steve Bruce now there's no need to make all the raft of changes now think about this is what we're going to do and that's how we're going to change it I think it's also important well that we have a little bit of you know realism as well I mean that's not to say that we shouldn't be excited and uh, and all those things because all you know that's that's how you want to feel about your football club we should dream that's a Kevin Keegan quote but you know we should dream about our football club and we haven't been able to do that for you know for for most part of 13 years so that's very important but I do think you know before we all do start playing fantasy football you know in terms of signings and things like that that this is an incredibly difficult moment you know in in every aspect of society football football included the really encouraging thing is that this is going through anyway it's happened you know it's happening anyway at a time when most logic would tell you that this is not a you know this this wouldn't seem like the best moment to to buy a football club so this is something we've mentioned before and, and written about before but the fact that they're viewing it the fact they're still doing it shows that it's a long-term project by its very nature because we're going to have short-term bumps along the way and we you know we already are and so the fact it's going ahead is incredibly encouraging the fact they want to make a difference not just not just for the team but for the club and for the city as a whole is incredibly encouraging but it's okay to have a little bit of realism a little bit of realism as well it's not going to be an overnight thing well this is actually this was the point i was going to make kind of follows on from what you've just said there was that um there, there needs to be a there needs to be a a period of patience, I think, from a fan's point of view as well. Because, like you say, this isn't going to happen overnight and we're not going to be going out and signing 70, 80, 100 million pound players within a couple of weeks. It's it's going to be a slow build and it's going to take a long time to fix uh, a lot of the problems that the club have had over the last few years. And I think the, the new owners coming in will probably know that already. Um, <clears throat> we have to be patient. I mean, a case in point is Manchester City. When they were taken over, it was three years um, before they won the Premier League and back then it was an entirely different set, and s- set of circumstances there wasn't as much money in the league um, the owners and directors test didn't take as long I mean I don't even think it existed then to be honest um, and it's it's a very different uh, situation that these new owners are coming into than the ones who bought Manchester City yeah. uh, all those years ago yeah. and stormed up the league and started winning trophies left right and centre we can't I think as a fan base we have to be very careful about how much we expect from the club and how quickly we expect it you know we've also seen Everton get taken over and you know with big with big money and sort of huge ambitions around the club and we've also you know we've seen how difficult it is and how important it is to get the decisions right now i think the way it's been put to me is that newcastle can't look to compete with man city and liverpool and manchester united um you know in the short term because it's it's absolutely impossible they're they're a huge 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 distance away but what they can look to do is to compete with the likes of Everton and Wolves who've recently been taken over with Spurs perhaps Leicester and a lot of that will be to do with not just being you know not being richer but being better and that gets us and that gets us back to the whole rougher sort of argument that 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 was 
you know, repeatedly had when when Benitez was here as manager. It's not just doing; it's about doing the right things and about doing the right things at the right time. And I think the way you can do that is by having really good people in the positions of power who take the decisions. You have to be quick. Having money is one thing. Being quick is another. Being sensible, being right, it's all of those things. Now, that's about more than money. The infrastructure of the club, I think, is the thing that's the most important at the minute. And the financial fair play rules, while they dictate we can't go spending hundreds of millions of pounds on players, what we can do is we can improve the in- infrastructure of the club. So the training ground and the academy could could take an investment and could be made into one of the best in the country. That's the kind of thing, me as, me as a fan, speaking personally, that's the sort of thing I think we need to see from Newcastle United. The days of paddling pools and wheelie bins full of ice, they need to be gone now. You look at um, uh, Alan St. Maximan coming in from Nice, they spent all that money on a wonderful new training ground and he left there and came to us. I wonder what he must have thought when he walked. It looks like a social club. I'm sure Chris has opinions on this as well, but I mean, you know, there were those quotes from Lee Charnley not too long ago saying, you know, no player would ever turn them down, you know, would ever turn them down because of their training ground and stuff like that. And it, it sort of just missed the point entirely. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the idea of having the best facilities is that you're making your players feel better. You're you're making them better. It might just be a percentage point, but those, that percentage point could be could be really crucial you strive for excellence in the same way you know you make your team better because you, your team your team makes your club better your club then becomes worth more money you then have more money to spend on new players it's all that sort of thing it's that well it's the whole ethos of of you know of spending of spending money as an investment you know speculate to accumulate and that the club has not done that in any way shape or form over the last decade and more and it's you know these people are incredibly gifted athletes so we treat them like that and it's you know it's embarrassing it's embarrassing to go from a Newcastle press conference to go to a Sunderland press conference and see the facilities yeah. that, that are there if anyone's been watching you know Sunderland till I die on Netflix you know you'll you'll see some of the some of the facilities Sunderland have and it's brilliant and the same applies to you know Middlesbrough they did their training ground a lot you know a long time ago you look at clubs like Brighton who've got these extraordinary facilities and it's about making people better and surrounding them by with excellence and that is something that the club will want to do you know there's also you know it's tied in with the academy there needs to be investment in the academy because you know part of this vision is that Newcastle is the only Premier League club at the moment albeit that might change if and when Leeds come up but at the moment Newcastle's the only Premier League club from the Scottish borders down to the down to Burnley effectively and there's a big catchment area and there's a big vision and there's a perhaps Newcastle's vision might be and I'm, this is me speculating, but perhaps that vision could be this is the absolute epicentre for talented young kids to come through the system, be coached and looked after by world-class coaches and then come into the team. And, you know, that's all, you know, g- generations have been lost um, by the kind of chaos that there's been at the club over various points in the years, even though there are some incredibly brilliant people there. And it's about making them better as well. It's about making the coaches better. So last time she tried to take the club over, there was there was kind of hundred million set aside for two transfer windows, and there was a hundred million set aside for uh, for infrastructure improvements. Now um, depends what the spending limitations are in terms of financial fair play. You know we're still working through that. But are they looking at the training ground and academy already? Big time. Yeah, I mean, from what I've read as well about the financial fair play stuff, it appears that Mike Ashley's um, 
frugal nature has maybe put Newcastle in a decent position where this is concerned because it's all to do with how much you uh, lose over three years and stuff like that, isn't it? So it it's actually Mike actually being as being as careful as he has been with the pennies over the last couple of years could set us up to be in quite a nice starting position for that. Yeah, and Newcastle are in a reasonable position and or very good position really in that sense because they've last two years of accounts that we've had they uh, were in profit sorry the last one because the one before that they've been relegated but that in theory the ones that haven't come through yet for 2018-19 which the club have delayed releasing um, I understand was that was going to probably show profit as well so in that sense I think it's 105 million something like that you can lose over three years um, and that's before the new TV deal which comes in this year as well so I don't know if those figures get tweaked but in theory Newcastle have the capacity to be able to grow then expand there are restrictions but I think that really in the short term certainly when it comes to wages that they've got a lot of leeway there in terms of the way they could change that potential structure because they have one of the certainly one of the lowest wage structures in sort of uh, the middle part of the Premier League um, in terms of the training ground Look, the, the the paddling pool thing, it, it's a famous image which goes around. They, they are actually old. They, they don't do that anymore. And I, I just want to reiterate that. But the, the reality is that it, that the changes have been incremental at best. I mean, in the interview George did with Benitez last summer, he gave the throwaway line that asked them to do the training ground. They promised it and then they painted the walls over three years. Now, that, I think that was slightly, slightly disingenuous. But the point he was making was that they've done very little to actually change it. There wasn't the, the substantial change that was promised. We haven't actually really upgraded this training ground. It, it is compared to other facilities. It isn't It isn't sort of state of the art. It isn't something which will make the the players feel that they are, that they have the very best behind them. And it, it, it's all about that sort of idea. And, and financial fair play will allow for that. And also, if you can improve the academy, I mean, this is a, this is something that Benitez argued over and over and over again. And to be fair, there are people at the academy who are already trying to do this, but they probably need more money and more infrastructure to do. Is it, it organically improves your club over time as well? Because if you can produce your own players, as Liverpool are doing now, Trent Alexander-Arnold has come through their own academy. You rather than have to pay fifteen, twenty million more than that to sign on these players if you have one or two come through every year or eighteen months to supplement your first team, then. It, again, you are saving money by putting money into that to begin with. You save money in the long run on transfer fees that you don't have to pay. Or if someone doesn't quite make the grade, if they're not quite Premier League or they're not quite wherever you are on the table, you can sell them to a League One club and make a little bit of money there as well. And then it all because that's what Manchester United do with their system. So it's all about really improving that, and and it, it sort of pays for itself over time. The last the last thirteen or so years of, of Mike Ashley's tenure at Newcastle United. I mean, what have we learned from this? Apart from obviously never, ever, ever give Joe Kinnear a job. What else have we learned from <laughs> from this period? Well, what have we learned? Um well there hasn't been much fun. Um I think that's the I think that's the biggest thing. And you know, that to be a successful football club is about more than being profitable and it's about being it's about more than just ticking over in the Premier League and uh, not that Newcastle have done that um throughout throughout all of those 10 year, uh, 13 years but that a football club needs love and it needs due attention and it needs care and it needs TLC and that you know a club is about people as much as it's about the bottom line. Well, in fact, it's about no. It's forget the bottom line. It's about it's about people, and it's the club's people have been neglected. And we can talk about the pe- those people being the high 
you know the 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 famous people like Kevin Keegan and Alan Shearer and and Chris Hutton and all those people we've talked about before. But it's also about supporters and how supporters have have drifted away and felt like there was nothing that stuck to them, stuck them to the club anymore. That nothing that glued them to the club anymore because. You know, if a club is about supposed to be about an extension of you and, and something bigger than you and better than you, and allowed you to feel proud about your city and your region and who you are and who you stand for, all those things or a lot of those things have gone, and that's why we've got to this season. And you know, this businessman who's who's built this you know successful business on 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 selling stuff has had to give away 10,000 up to 10,000 half season tickets it's extraordinary and people have walked away and so what do we learn from it well you know a football club's about investment and it's about love and it's about it's about fantasy and it's about dreaming and it's about positivity and you've seen this albeit in a limited way in the last sort of two or three weeks with people getting incredibly excited about what might happen uh, next and it's just been dry and it's been cold and at, at, at the worst times it's been offensive and um, to me it's a model of you know, there are, it's on one sense, it's a model of stability, and another sense, it's a model of how not to do things. I mean, we're continually told by certain people in the in the media and, and, and pundits and stuff like that that we should be grateful uh, to Mike Ashley for for the last thirteen years and the fact that he's he saved the club when it could have went bust and he's he put us on a good financial footing and all that sort of stuff. But I think the average fan doesn't isn't really concerned about that kind of thing are they the average fan wants to feel that connection and wants to be part of something um and i've never i haven't felt like part of something for a while. little moments here and there over the last 13 years i felt like i was part of something again when when my love for the club kind of came back but for the mainstay it's it's been really difficult to to engage with a newcastle united that doesn't seem to want to engage with me yeah i mean part of sport and football and being a fan is it's is it it's escapism almost it's a it's that ability to dream like that there's this ridiculous notion that keeps getting uh comes up nationally about expectations of newcastle fans and all this rubbish that they expect to be in the champions league every year it's not it's just that they they want to believe that the things could be better that it's it's, like under kevin keegan it was when he when they got promoted and he and he basically said manchester united were coming for you and it's it's like shoot for the stars and if you if you reach the moon then great but just just try to be something better try and progress try and improve have that dream and i just feel like newcastle fans hopes over a long period of time have just been quashed down the fact that they were told that for a period that cup competitions were secondary to to the Premier League, a Premier League which Newcastle were never going to win, and which they even struggled to stay in most years under Mike Ashley. That that idea that he just turned up and it was oh this club is running as a business and so yeah, but I, I, the, that's not something which really pulls at the heartstrings of, of fans. If you go into to nineteen home games a season, however many away games, if you, you're going to those nineteen home games in a season, and you're thinking we might win five or six of these, and the rest of them are going to be a right slog and. Th- th- do you want that enjoyment? You want that sense of, of feeling that you are part of it? And it became, it, it was, there was anger for a long period. And I think that a large part of it, this season in particular, just felt like apathy. It had reached that stage where people had, had really yeah. lost that love and affection. And I think that in the piece that, that George really orchestrated, but that, that I was involved with with some of our other colleagues, it's called a long called Mike, a long came Mike Ashley on, on the athletic. It's a sort of long read on Ashley. And it's about Ashley, Newcastle United, Ashley, the businessman, Ashley, the man. 
and there's it was spoke to uh, former club employees, associates, uh, people who've dealt with them, and really one of the, I think the most interesting quote for me within it is basically that there's a bit where a former employee says that if if the football club took up more than a small percentage of his time, then he saw that as a waste of time because basically it's not where his profits lay, and 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 for. For for you for you to know that your owner is so disconnected that he has that much disinterest in, in your club, I think that just sums up the the way that it's felt, and that 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 sort of one quote sort of just seems to to really summarise what what has been over the last thirteen years that this hasn't been his priority. Fan, and Newcastle United hasn't been his priority. The fans haven't been his priority, and they feel that as well. They feel like they've been left behind and almost forgotten about in a lot of ways. You know, why do we go to the football? Is it just because of this kind of random collection of people doing stuff on the pitch? You know, in front of us, is it because we're fascinated by that? Well, yeah, some people are, and it's, but it's it's actually about you know, it's often these days are about family or they're about friends, they're about being with people and experiencing something together. And when things are going well, we're all singing together in the stadium, and when things are going badly, we're all shouting and getting a, a angry together. And you know, we feel that the world's against us, or you know, and it's it's about that sort of collectivity that's the to me that's one of the, the you know that that's the fundamental of football and that's why it's so powerful and more and more increasingly it's the the thing that's on the pitch or the club or the thing that we're all joining together to sort of be part of is the least appealing bit about it and when people start feeling that then there's nothing tiny to the club anymore and you know the stuff about expectation always has always boiled my piss it fucking does my head in sorry for swearing but it absolutely <laughs> does my head in because if you haven't won anything since 1955 domestically if you haven't won a trophy of any sort since 1969 the only expectation you have is that things will go wrong and and they normally do go wrong there, you know there have been different points in Newcastle's history when we were in the Champions League when of course if you then the next season you're not in the Champions League people get and people get frustrated or disappointed or annoyed that's just that's just the way of life that's understandable because that's where we were at the club at the time but it's it's okay so if we don't have that success if we don't have those trophies well what do we have we have a history that we're really really proud of and our history is made up of people like Kevin Keegan, who played for us, came out of nowhere to play for us and was really important and then came back as a manager and is the man really responsible for the club being in the situation it is now, being a Premier League club. He had the ambition, the drive, the vision, the feeling for the club, and then he was treated like dirt by the by the ownership. And then the same applies to Alan Shearer, a man who, you know, still the Premier League's record goal scorer, the club's record goal scorer, a world record signing. He joined us as a world record signing. I mean, how how ridiculous is that, you know, to even use those? And and who won games for us, who saved games for us, was then treated like dirt. And then on a smaller scale, you can say the same thing about people like Chris Hewton. This is something we might come on to talk about in a bit. But, you know, someone who, him and his team rescued the club at one of its lowest ebbs and in spite of the people above it, Got the club promoted back into the Premier League and then was then sacked, you know, when 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 the team were eleventh in the Premier League, and all those things chip away at us. They chip away at our prestige. They chip away at the club's prestige, and that's just a small example. You can add in Joe Kinnear coming twice and all that sort of all the rest of the crap and the naming of the stadium and all that sort of stuff. But once you then take those things away from us, what have we got left? It's it's not just about about the balance sheet it's about love and it's about history and it's about reclaiming our club because it's been lost to us 
as a as a man who's um you know who's a businessman and who's a salesman, what I will say is he's done a really really bad job of selling Newcastle United to probably the easiest customer he'll ever have in his life, which is Newcastle United fans, because we we were we are desperate to love that club with everything we have. Yeah. And we we should have been the easiest sales target in the world. He would have had to have done very little to get us on board. And he didn't even do that. And from the sound of it, it's like he couldn't be bothered or it would have took up too much of his time or effort. And that, to me, is the saddest part of this. No, and the communication was, their communication's always been terrible. It doesn't, that's not a reflection necessarily of the people who are in charge of communication. It's not, it, that's not their fault. But, you know, you know, if you explain things to us, if you explain things to fans, if you explain things to the media, if you explain, if you, if if you go out of your way to explain why things are happening, then you can buy into it. So okay, so this, the 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 stadium name is a bad idea. Let's take that as red. But but if if people had come out and sort of said, okay, well look, we're going to explore this because if we get fifteen million quid or twenty million quid a season from doing this, that might mean a new player. Let's have a let's discuss this. What do we think about that? You know, that could help us compete instead of just changing it. You know, to the name of his company. You know, and not getting any income for it, showcasing it, all that bollocks. And the, you know, the same thing about the same thing about the ads in the stadium for a long, long time. You know, getting him him getting the value for that. And until very recently, the club getting very little or nothing. And you know, it's like it's 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 taking the piss. You know, it's taking the piss. If you explain stuff, if you use human language, if you explain why something like that might be necessary, or this is why we're doing this, or this is why you should buy into this, or this is what we can do, things make a lot of sense. But or things can make a degree of sense. But what happened was they would just take these awful decisions, and all you would so all you would have in your head was the previous awful decision, and then the one before that, and. Yeah. You know, because they didn't explain. They didn't bother to explain. I'm feeling quite angry now. <laughs> no, just take a breath. Just relax. Realign your chakras. Um, put some, you know, a, a nice jasmine-scented <sighs> candle on. Mm, jazz. <laughs> Need to listen to some jazz. <laughs> nice. So, obviously, there's also been a, a heightened interest and a lot of questions in the press this week uh, and in the media and stuff like that about about Saudi Arabia itself and about the state and about their various uh, human rights issues and all that kind of stuff. And I know Newcastle fans have seemed to have been a target this week by by certain sections. Um, it, it seems like this is going to be an issue and a question that isn't going to go away anytime soon, Chris. No, and I mean, in terms of the, the, the moral rights and wrongs of, of, of Saudi Arabia or indeed any other uh, government who, with such accusations that have been levelled against them as them, I think that it's right that they don't go away. That the problem I've got uh, that I have had over the recent times is I know that there's been a lot of um, sort of contact with sort of fans groups, and I know that uh, I was listening to the True Faith podcast last week, and uh, Alex Hurst, who's both uh, writes for True Faith and also is is the NUST um, chair, he basically has had a lot of a lot of people onto him trying to trying to get his views basically on, on, on Saudi Arabia and then their potential involvement. And his argument is that w- why should I be the, the moral compass, the voice of this? I'm just a Newcastle fan, albeit I'm in these positions. But this is this goes far beyond Newcastle United. This is ownership in football anyway, that you've got a Roman Abramovich at Chelsea, you've got um, Manchester City and the involvement there of, of obviously Abu Dhabi, Qatari owners of, of PSG, and then also just the fact that the British government uh, themselves do, do uh, millions, if not billions of pounds worth of 
trade every year with Saudi Arabia, including in arms. But basically, I, th- I think there's almost been this point that's been overlooked. There's like this idea that Newcastle fans shouldn't be excited. And I think that that has, that, that there's two waves to that. And I think that, and I don't want to speak for all Newcastle fans, but, but, but my take on it is that part of that excitement is the fact that Mike Ashley's going. It's not the fact that who's coming in. There is that. That's a secondary element. And there, there is excitement about what it could become. But the, as everything we've discussed on this podcast so far, everything we've discussed over the last 13 years, essentially, about how worn and weathered Newcastle fans are with and just wanting to love their club again the belief that that could happen again now that Mike Ashley is almost gone it, it is almost at that point that is almost being diluted by the fact of oh but you, yeah but you, you're getting owners who, who are from Saudi Arabia and yeah and I understand that and and d- does it sit comfortably with me no, no it doesn't and ideally in an ideal world clubs would be fan owned I know George and I have very similar views on this but that yeah. we don't live in an ideal world the Premier League is not an ideal world this is not an ideal situation and so Newcastle fans shouldn't be made to feel guilty about the fact that they're excited that, that Mike Ashley is going because they've had 13 years of, of sort of turmoil, really. And so I just think that the, the, the debate's gone too far and I think that it, it's it's nuanced and I don't think people have, have, have really paid attention to that nuance enough. I think it's okay on, on, on one hand to say, is to, you know, is to look at what people like Amnesty say and they very clearly say that one way you can you know, there's this notion of sports washing, and one way you can counter this notion of sports washing is actually familiarising yourself with some of the stuff that uh, Saudi Arabia have been accused of, and that all that's happened. And so, I think that's, you know, I think that's absolutely reasonable and fine, and and to be recommended. And I think that's one side of it. The other side of it is that, as Chris said. I believe in fan ownership. I believe that clubs should be, you know, clubs should be community assets. But we already have a system in the Premier League. You know, we're way beyond that point. You know, and if there's a line in the sand, is it is it here? Is it China? Is it Russian oligarch? Is it a billionaire sweatshop owners? Is it distressed asset investors? Where's our line in the sand? And if it's here, why is it here? And to me, you know, I think the time to get to to get concerned about rogue states and things like that might be the moment that they're walking up Downing Street with our Prime Minister or they might be the moment that we're selling arms to them. I don't see, personally I don't see them buying a football club as the the thing to be concerned about and you know, for a long periods of my life I've seen seen our part of the world pretty much ignored by our own government and so If people are prepared to come in and and invest in the team and in the city and in the region, then I'm I'm happy to judge them on that. You know, I'm happy to judge them on that because I will judge the owner that we've just had and said that he he treated it felt to me for a long periods that he treated us with contempt and he was negligent when it came to the football club. So I'm I'm really, I'm willing to let other people have a go and then judge them on that. That doesn't mean that you know we have to be completely immune to what's happening in the world. I think we should be. I think that's to be recommended. But I, I do find this sort of argument that somehow Newcastle fans are complicit or at fault or um, you know about something that they can't control and they can't stop. You know, they haven't been able to stop Mike Ashley's ownership over 13 years. They have protested and um, it hasn't stopped it. I mean, what stopped it is somebody else coming along and buying it from him. So are we right to be interested and concerned and to think about it? I think definitely, equally, I think it's okay to be excited about what might happen next. 
Absolutely, and I think also Newcastle United have got a have got a pretty decent history of of being quite a socially conscious club. Maybe it's not so much the club itself, but certainly the fan base. Um, when you look at the work that's been done with the food banks and also surrounding issues such as racism and homophobia, and those fans will always be out there, and those fans will always be um, making a stand for for those issues. Now, what you will also find is there will be fans out there who just don't care about that stuff or don't allow that stuff to become part of their day-to-day uh, football fandom, so to speak. And I think what you'll find is the more that people push against those fans and tell them they should be interested in something and they should care about something, is you'll find a lot of those fans will go the other way. So, lads, we uh, also this week you released a, a piece about the 2009-10 promotion season, uh, the season under Chris Hutton in the championship. Spoke to a number of the players from that team uh, and recounted a lot of the tales. Uh, that, that's got some really good traction on the site as well. And I have to say I enjoyed reading that immensely. And I know a few of my pals did as well. That, it must have been an interesting piece to write that one. Yeah, this is one of the pieces that uh, I think George probably shares. This is one of my favourite pieces that we've written so far. It is a team and uh, Chris Hutton is a manager who I have an immense amount of personal respect for. And I think that uh, a lot of fans uh, do as well in the, in the reflections that we've had on the piece. And basically it was what we wanted to do was this, this was the 10 year anniversary. So that was the idea behind the piece. It was a 10 year anniversary last weekend that Newcastle lifted, uh, won the championship title, sorry, at Plymouth when there was the pitch invasion. But essentially we wanted to look back at that season, but more than just that season, it was a sort of 18 month period whereby Newcastle had been relegated. And there's a, there's an idea that that team was so good that they should always have come back up. But really this, this was, this was far more of an achievement than that. This, this was a club that even when on the pitch, they went and recorded how 102 points and, went and uh, won the title in the end at a canter in terms of points wise the, the, the whole situation remained chaotic they went down in chaos and it remained chaotic that summer there was no manager there was no uh, actual the, the club was for sale and uh, nobody knew what was going on and we wanted to reflect that and speaking to the players and speaking to Chris Hutton though that 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 became a common theme and I mean I spoke to one of the ones I spoke to was Joey Barton and he was quite strong and quite militant in terms of his views on this and basically saying that it was it was a shambles, and he said that he wanted. He talked about a game of golf uh, the following summer with 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 Mike Ashley and Derek Lambias out in Ireland, basically where Mike Ashley wanted to play golf with Barton, and Barton just point blank refused and said, "I, you couldn't just curry my favour by that because we we had basically clawed this club back up to the Premier League. It was in spite of them rather than because of the ownership, and that was that 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 was part of of, of what we wanted to get across in this piece. That this was such a big achievement that they were they are a team which should be admired for that, and that really without them without that squad and without Chris Hutton really pulling together it's it's worrying to think about where Newcastle could have been in the in the years that followed spoiler alert Derek Lambias might actually don't come out of this very well do they (laughs) let's be honest (laughs) well no but people people forget and I think I think history gets rewritten so that it feels like okay so there's been two two relegations under Ashley but Newcastle came up both times as champions they've cracked relegation you know what's the big but you know if we go down again the same thing will happen you know it's that sort of thing and this one in particular it was it was chaos it was pandemonium they got hammered 6-1 by Leighton Orient 
famously in pre-season and that was the moment when the players got together they had this incredible team meeting where they talked about who stays who goes and that was the moment when you know that was them doing it that was them doing it and they were then marshalled by a brilliant captain in Kevin Nolan I think one of the most important captains in Newcastle's history simply because of the you know because of this season and a very strong group of players Steve Harper people like Barton Nicky Butt uh, Alan Smith others and um, you know, and Hewton was a Hewton was the perfect manager. He sucked up all the pressure that there was from above and below, and steered the club through this absolute, you know, absolute sort of chaotic season, and got them through. And they did it. You know, they it was them that did it, and it was the fans that did it. It was the and you know they did it very much in spite of the people above them. And you know, one of the things I loved was. Um, you know, uh, Joey Joey Barton talking and remembering that they had that the Deacon Blue song "Dignity" blasting out of the first team dressing room after home wins. That became the theme tune of their season, and what a tune. it was about. Yeah, what an absolutely brilliant tune. It's a hilarious video as well if you watch it on on YouTube. <laughs> I linked it on my Twitter page. It's very dated, but it's a great tune. And it was about a club that, if you think about what had happened the previous season, Keegan looking up players on YouTube, Dennis Wise, Joe Kinnear, Keegan's, you know, the tribunal that would happen in the promotion season, Alan Shearer coming in, Alan Shearer hearing nothing, all this stuff, all these nicks to the club's prestige being chipped away. And it was about a team and a club rediscovering itself. And um, no, it it had very, very little to do with the people the people above. And that's why I kind of love the way, way, the way Joey told that story. It's a fantastic piece though. I really enjoyed reading that the other morning when it, when it appeared on, on the athletic. Um, I, I did especially enjoy the words of Joey Barton and, and Kevin Nolan and people like that. And I think we've got a lot, a lot to thank those guys for that nucleus of that dressing room. Those, those senior players who pushed us forward at that time when others could have, you know, fell by the wayside and players were trying to get out. And, you know, there's that famous meeting where they said, you know, if you want to go, you have to put your hand up and tell us now. And and, and to, to be fair, some of the players were, were able to do that and they carried us forward from there. And I think that that squad as well, that is one of the one of the few squads that I've actually felt connected with as a fan over the last 10, 13 years. Uh, I think that's the fantastic uh, team we had. They weren't the best players, but they were a fantastic team. There were, and I think, um, I mean, one of the one of the sort of almost uh, a different extract within it is 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 with Peter Lovenkrantz, who um, oh, I, yeah. I spoke to as well, and I, I was welling up on on the phone as he told me this story, which I was already aware of, but the, the way he tells it, and, and you get you get that connection <coughs> that he has, this lasting connection with Newcastle fans, because he he lost his his father that year and came back and, and played and scored against West Brom at, at St James's Park, and he talks about the roar that he, he heard from the crowd afterwards and he, he says sure Ram Yobi whispered a message in his ear and he, he was in floods of tears on the pitch and just he built he, he basically says Newcastle fans will never understand how much that moment meant to me and how much that meant to me and I think that that sort of in a, in a, in a personal sort of way for him but also in a wider sense the connection that the, that, that team really did build with supporters and, and the feeling that they got the club and that they were doing it for more it wasn't just about themselves it was also for the fans and the club so that was a slightly different more personal story within it but but a, a very poignant one and then it led to new one of the most important moments in Newcastle's history um that promotion season because on the 5th of July 2010 
James Perch signed for Newcastle for an undisclosed Absolutely. fee, believed to Absolutely. be around one million pounds, leading on, and you know, and the rest is history. And still to this day, the only player to have ever received five yellow cards in his first five Premier League games, and in that period scored an own goal against Stoke as well. Wonderful stuff. A hero, a true hero amongst men. <laughs> Thanks a lot, lads. Anyway, that, that, that piece is brilliant, by the way. So if you get the chance and you want to have a read of that, get yourself onto theathletic.com and use uh, forward slash Newcastle pod to take advantage of that 90-day free trial. Get yourself on there and have a read of that piece. And also the piece about Mike Ashley that we spoke about before. Also, George's piece on the takeover and the plans and the, the, uh, the coronavirus effect on the takeover. Uh, that is on there as well. Went live this morning. Um, so yeah, get yourself on there. Lots of fantastic Newcastle United content. Uh, to be dissected even in these times when we don't have any actual football to talk about or to watch. This Sunday, The Athletic will be hosting a Premier League awards night. Our writers and podcast hosts have voted across a number of categories and from 7pm on Sunday, we will be announcing the winners. But before then, make sure you listen to the On Scene and Chapman podcast every day this week where we will be announcing the shortlist for each category. We start on Tuesday with the Young Player of the Year and that's followed on Wednesday by Underrated Player. On Thursday with our Team of the Year and then on Friday you can hear the shortlist for the main award, the Men's and Women's Players of the Season. So that's a new show every day this week only on the Ornstein and Chapman podcast. And to find out the winners on Sunday night, make sure you subscribe and download The Athletic app. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod to take advantage of our 90 day free trial. Chaps, thank you very much for joining us again. I hope you're all well. I hope you're going to have a uh, a good week. Fingers crossed the next time we speak, we could be in hashtag Cannes territory, but you never know. It's been great fun uh, talking to you again, lads. Uh, take care of yourselves. And also out there, take care of yourselves, all you listeners. And we'll speak to you very, very soon. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. I like a good sausage, particularly a sausage on a stick, as they do. <laughs> can we can, just sorry, sorry, can we clip sorry. that bit? Yeah. Yes, please. That's exactly what I was going to say to our <laughs> athletic overlords.